forreporter.com. And from listener donations at wjffradio.org. Holiday music and traditions from 18th century French Canada, Renaissance in Georgian England, and Reconstruction-era Washington, D.C. It all comes alive in the Christmas revels in celebration of the winter solstice from PRX. Hear this two-hour holiday special on Solstice Day, 10 a.m., Wednesday, December 21st, on Radio Catskill. Welcome to the local edition news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dolt. Coming up on a Monday evening, we get the latest news in our area from the Sullivan County Democrat. It's our weekly news roundup with the Democrats, Joseph Abraham. That'll be in the second half of the program. Right now, up front, to kick us all off, it's our check-in with Sullivan County. We're here at the end of the year. This is the time of year where you typically look back over the, the past year, as well as look at look ahead to the year that's coming up. But tonight we're going we're going to look back about 250 years and look ahead to a project that's going to take up a big part of the next 10 years or so. Berryville residents Deborah and John Conway have been named by the Sullivan County Legislature to serve as the co-chairs of a new commission to coordinate the county's celebration of the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence and the American Revolution. John Conway is a longtime official Sullivan County historian. He's also the president of the Delaware Company, and he's on the phone with us right now to talk to us. John, welcome back to the airwaves here on Radio Catskill. Great to be with you, Jason. Thanks for the opportunity once again to talk about Sullivan County history. Right. And, um, you know, before we get into this, you know, what, what lays ahead for looking back 250 years, um, I was thinking about, you know, this, I think here at the end of this year, this has basically been like the first real full year since the Delaware company has been overseeing Fort Delaware, right? That's correct. Can can you talk a little bit about what what that was like taking that project on and how your first year went? Uh, well, I think overall um, it went very well. Obviously, the fort had been closed for two years uh, because of COVID, and uh, we uh, when we we actually took over in 2021, but only did a, a couple of events there. So, for all uh, intents and purposes, the the fort had been closed in 2020 and 2021. Uh, so there was a lot of work to do taking it over, but I think we had a, a, a really good year. We um, positioned the fort, I think, uh, or, or began to position it as a very uh, serious history venue, history education venue, and that's really our intent moving forward is to, to um, you know, really create a, a more academic uh, atmosphere there, uh, not, without losing the entertainment portion of it, and of course the story of the Ford as a 1950s roadside attraction uh, created by James W. Burbank, I think is is a part of the story that's 
really been neglected, and that's one of my favorite aspects of, of the Fort Delaware story. So we're, we're weaving a lot of things into it uh, that really have never been done before, and I think that's an exciting um, aspect of, of what we're doing there. And that last thing that you mentioned, that's that's not even something that, that I'm necessarily aware of. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? What is that roadside attraction uh, origin? Yeah, well, um, we actually had a program. Uh, I did a program at the fort this this past year, uh, which we entitled "The Other Fort Delaware Story." And you know, in addition to the uh, colonial history, the the story of the Cushatunk settlement as it existed along the Upper Delaware, the first permanent European settlement in the Upper Delaware. The other story of Fort Delaware is how uh, Sullivan County historian James W. Burbank uh, was inspired to create Fort Delaware, uh, which is, for those who are not familiar with it, a reproduction of the actual lower stockade or, or lower fort of the Cushitunk settlement. So Burbank got the idea in the 1950s to create a a business that would uh, basically talk about the history of the Upper Delaware during the colonial period. And uh, in conversation with his daughter, Peggy, who worked at the fort as a teenager and and still lives in the area, um, you know, he was partly inspired by not only his love for the history of the Upper Delaware, but the Davy Crockett uh, craze that was sweeping the nation at the time, uh, the America's love affair with the automobile, which had made travel, uh, you know, Route 97 um, was a popular uh, traveling uh, roadway, and this, you know, the tumblers kind of clicked together for him to create this this fort, which was a, you know, a roadside attraction. It was a theme park, basically, that uh, told the colonial history of the area. But Burbank would often appear in his buckskins and um, coonskin cap. And, you know, that was inspired by, you're probably too young to remember what was going on in the 50s, but Walt Disney had popularized the Davy Crockett legend. And uh, every kid, myself included, had a coonskin cap. And, um, you know, we all aspired to be these young pioneers. And uh, so Burbank was telling what was often referred to as the, the buckskin uh, version of the, the history of the Upper Delaware. So the story of, of that, the 1950s and how American vacations um, evolved because of the automobile and the Davy Crockett craze and whatnot, that's a, a, an aspect of, of the story of Fort Delaware that I, I love to tell, and, and people seem to gravitate toward that. So we actually had the, the Catskill Classic Car Club um, came by for our uh, program this summer on uh, the other Fort Delaware story. So it was really kind of a, a great um, synchronistic kind of um, coming together. You know, yeah, I wasn't around for the Davy Crockett craze, but I do know about it. And I, I think that it's interesting that that moment that led to the creation of Fort Delaware, um, you know, was a, a, a con, a, a concurrence of a number of things, including that Davy Crockett craze, including the uh, increased automobile lifestyle, and then also the rise of theme parks tied in with that as well. And it's funny that Disney kind of plays in to that story then in two ends because they were part of that sure. theme park craze as well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
And, you know, we're very fortunate um, that we we actually have in our possession at the fort uh, that um, that buckskin uh, jacket, the fringed jacket that, that Burbank wore. Uh, it's on display at the fort. In fact, we're, we're looking into um, getting that preserved and restored, and uh, we're, we're going to start uh, trying to create a proper storage uh, for it so that it doesn't deteriorate in the future. But we have photographs of, of Burbank in the coonskin cap and the the buckskin jacket, and we're fortunate enough to still have that jacket. And um, so, as I said, we're, we're hoping to be able to preserve and uh, restore and preserve that for the future. And it's an then- integral part of the fort story, obviously. Yeah. Were you know were were you in the was he still around when you first made it to the area? Uh no, well I I've been I I was born and raised in the area, uh but I did not know Burbank and uh you know I'm probably one of the few uh kids from that era that never went to Fort Delaware for some reason. Um you know I was aware of its existence, but I had never made my way over uh to this part of the county uh, growing up in Rock Hill Monticello area. Um, but, um, certainly as a county historian, I've chronicled a lot of, of Burbank's, uh, work, his contributions to, uh, preserving our history and, and chronicling it. And, um, I've, I've met his daughter, Peggy and a great lady, and she makes a, a pilgrimage back to the fort every year, um, to this day. So, you know, we're very fortunate to, to still have her around, and she shares um, her memories of, of working at the fort uh, as a teenager. And, we, we, you know, we have all these photos. Uh, this, the, you know, the county has done a great job of, of maintaining all of the archives and uh, from the very first. And Burbank was very good at it as well, from the very first. So a lot of the stuff that's on display at, at Fort Delaware um you know, has been there since day one. Burbank's work is still very prominently displayed. He was a, for those who don't know Burbank, he was a commercial artist. He was a, a model maker of some renown. He, um, a few years back, um, I was actually contacted by the U.S. Navy Recruiting Poster Museum in West Virginia, who uh, they were putting together an exhibit of Burbank's work because uh, that's what he did in the Navy. He he uh, drew recruiting posters for them, created oh, wow. recruiting posters, and and they were displaying his work. And they called me for some information on him and and whatnot. At any rate, yeah. um, some of the models that he made of the, in fact, the model that he made of Fort Delaware, which I, I believe he used to entice people to invest in the fort when he was first uh, conceiving the idea is still there. That's a central part of, of the gift shop at the fort, and it's been there um, forever. So, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have the, these these kind of remnants of the Burbank days, which I think, again, that's a, a, an important part of the story. Certainly not the only story. We still right. want to tell the, the colonial history, but um, we wanted to add this aspect of it because I, I'm fascinated by the, the 50s and the, 
the evolution <laughs> of the American vacation and whatnot. Well, and, and then also that connection to, to the the artistic work that he was doing uh, during the big war. I mean, you want you want to find more history than you knew about locally. John Conway's a good guy to talk to. So I love that we're that I'm hearing new things even as I talk to you. Looking, uh, and and I'm sure you know you're going to have uh, a lot more events coming up in the year ahead for Fort Delaware. And as we get closer, we'll have you on to talk about those. Uh, but the the other reason why we want to talk to you tonight is about this um, new. Uh, is it a committee, a commission to uh, uh, get ready for the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, which is kind of occurs in the middle of the anniversary of the American Revolution? Um, the, this New York State Legislature passed the New York State 250th Commemoration Act to commemorate the anniversary, recognize New York's uh, role in the revolution, and that that anniversary is happening in 2026. What's being done now to get ready for this? What are these steps being taken in Sullivan County uh, uh, in 2023 to get ready for 2026? Well, that's what we're um, we're about to embark upon the, the planning of, of these events. So uh, not just New York State, but uh, nationally, Congress uh, passed a um, passed the legislation to create a, a, na- a nationwide commission to celebrate the what they call the uh, semi-quincentennial um, of the revolution. So things will kick off. Um, actually, we'll kick things off um, according to our plan here in Sullivan County in 2025, uh, which you know the, the Revolutionary War obviously started at Lexington and Concord in 1775. So. Um, and really uh, continued through uh, 1783. So the commission that the uh, that the Sullivan County Legislature has created and named Deborah and I as co-chairs um, will run uh, through uh, 2033. So we'll we'll be commemorating uh, the, the American Revolution from uh, 2025 through. 2033 and then in in 2026 obviously will be the big year um everyone knows about 1776 and uh that obviously also will uh, celebrate the the signing of the declaration of independence which is you know really the de facto founding of this nation um you know the the declaration of independence uh really is what kicked it all off in terms of the United States of America. So we've got a lot to do, and the plans are just being formulated. The commission is being put in place now. We're we're accepting letters of interest, and if anyone is interested in serving on the commission, we're going to choose up to 10 additional people um, in addition to Deborah and I as the chair. So there'll be a 12-person commission. Uh, they should send um, a letter of interest to me via email. Uh, that's how we're going to deal with this is through email only. And they can send it to me at uh, my email address, john at the org, And we'll be uh, putting this commission together uh, beginning of January and, and probably sometime late in January. We'll, we'll kick off with meetings and, and start the planning of events for, for the years ahead. Yeah, and and essentially be working for the coming decade too on this. Yeah, it seems like a long way off at at present, but I'm sure it'll be here before we know it. And um, 
it will probably um, be pressed for time before we even turn around. So we're excited about it, though, and I, I think it's going to be a great time in the country, um, a great time in New York State. Uh, you know, a lot of counties, Westchester, Orange, um, Dutchess, they, they've been at this for a while already. And, in fact, I, I was just um, notified by uh, uh, Joanna Yawn, who is the Orange County historian, that there will be a regional meeting of uh, of the various commissions um, coming up uh, early in the, in the new year. So uh, we'll be coordinating efforts with other commissions as well. Great, that's great. So I think things really are moving along on this. That's that's great. Well, they will they will be. Um, you know, the first step obviously is has once we were named as. Um, as co-chairs, is to put the commission together. And so we're in the process of, of uh, collecting these letters of interest, yeah. and then we'll we'll choose the members, and uh, we'll call a meeting, and that'll kick it off. And um, we'll probably have some tentative plans in place before the end of 2023, I would think. Okay. Well, we're, we're going to have to get going here, but I'll remind people that uh, that if they are interested in uh, being part of the Sullivan 250 Commission, um, they can email you at john at thedelawarecompany.org. I guess, John, real quick before we go, I mean, you're going to have to meet with other people. There's got to be lots of planning. But at this stage, do you have anything in mind that you would like to see to mark this anniversary that's like your, your own uh, idea of something fun that you'd like to see happen? Well, one of the things that we're looking forward to doing is a, a major reenactment of the Battle of Minnesink, which, of course, is probably Sullivan County's uh, most direct tie to the Revolution. So that's a Revolutionary War battle fought here in the Upper Delaware uh, in 1779. So we'll we'll be planning a, a huge reenactment uh, of the Battle of Minnesink, and we look forward to Fort Delaware being at the center of of a lot of the events as well, since it, it obviously is of that time period. So um, other than that, we, we have no definitive plans at the present time. We're hoping that everyone will come uh, and be creative and we'll come up with some some a, a, a real diverse calendar of events that will be lectures and reenactments and something for everyone. Well, we'll and we'll be here to, to let people know what's going on. We'll have you on again then. John, I thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank Deborah for us as well. And uh, happy Christmas and a happy New Year to you as well. Likewise, right back at you, Jason. And thanks again for the opportunity. I'm sure we'll be in touch. This is a local edition, news and information. We're keeping you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. We're moving right along to the second part of our program, which is where we check in with uh, Joseph Abraham, managing editor for Sullivan County Democrat, about the latest news and the latest goings-on in Sullivan County. Sure. So uh, Megan Galligan, our district attorney in November, was elected to serve on the New York State Supreme Court uh, as a justice for the 3rd Judicial District. Um, So she'll be elevating to the bench uh, on January 1st. So since she still had time on her, her term and such, uh, Brian Connedy, who's 30 years old, um, was appointed as chief assistant district attorney uh, earlier this uh, month. And so what that means is that when Megan is sworn into the bench, he will uh, be expected to assume the role of acting district attorney. And he'll fill that for a year. And then next November, uh, 
just when we all go to the polls, there would be a special election for district attorney. So, um, but you know, he's uh, kind of, even though he's young, he's no stranger to the office. His father, Phil was a Sullivan County assistant district attorney for six years. Uh, he was an intern in the DA's office in 2015 before he went to law school. Uh, upon graduation from law school, he was hired by a former Sullivan County DA, Jim Farrell, uh, who he worked under for about a year before Jim was elected to serve on the Sullivan County, uh, uh, Sullivan County Court. So as a judge. So then when that happened, Megan herself, similar to it's like almost deja vu to what's happening now with Brian is, uh, you know, served as acting district attorney for a year. And then she went on to run against Frank Buddha and won that race to become the district attorney. So, um, but yeah, Connedy, since, uh, you know, in speaking with us, he talked about how he always wanted to be a trial attorney and that, uh, you know, some of the best in court experiences come from being a prosecutor. So that along with wanting to help his community is why he felt, uh, you know, being a part of the DA's office was a natural fit for him, um, back when he was coming out of law school. And uh, while there, uh, he served as lead prosecutor in connection with some serious uh, prosecutions involving guns, drugs, assault, sexual abuse, uh, and driving while intoxicated. Um, and that uh, Megan Galligan had high praise for him, said he established himself as a, quote, talented and capable trial prosecutor with the insight and temperament to lead the county's law enforcement community. Um, and also, you know, in, in tomorrow's paper, we have some quotes from him. Uh, and of course, uh, also Sheriff Mike Schiff, who spoke in support of him, uh, and, and looking forward to the partnership that, you know, working together because the DA kind of has a very central role and, um, you know, not just, you know, being the highest, uh, law enforcement official, uh, in the county, but also just, you know, they sort of serve as this center point person or unifier in a way among the police agencies and stuff, especially when they have to work together on a number of different things. Uh, so, you know, it should be interesting. Uh, you know, Brian is, uh, since joining the DA's office, he's advocated before the, uh, Sullivan County local criminal courts and county court, as well as the New York State Supreme Court appellate division, third department. Uh, and he's a Toro College, uh, law center, um, graduate. So, so yeah, you know, we'll see how, uh, you know, things go for the next year. Uh, he's, uh, obviously, uh, well spoken of uh, from others who have worked with him. So, uh, it'll be pretty cool. I don't really know statistically. I wondered about this myself as, uh, someone who's also 30 years old. If, uh, you know, if, if who is the youngest district attorney Sullivan County has ever had. So, um, yeah. So I'm not sure, uh, about that statistic, but yeah, he has to be one of the youngest, I would think, at 30 years old. So, um, but definitely has a cool resume. And uh, I think, you know, the DA's race, I can't really confirm anything right now, but I've heard some rumors of some interesting, uh, candidates who might be coming out to uh, to run against him because uh, he also intends on running for the DA position, um, you know, next November. So, uh, so that could be a very interesting race from what I'm hearing. Most uh, some interesting people who might throw their hat into the race. Right. I just want to make clear that he would have to run in November if he wants to keep the job. Correct. Yep, that is correct. Yep, you'll have to run and be elected by the people of Sullivan County. Definitely keep us up to date on that topic. Now let's take a look at what's happening in Sullivan County Legislature when it comes to Infinite Care, which is the management company that took over the adult facility that Sullivan County was managing and still owns. Joe, what can you tell us about the latest in this development with Infinite Care? Yeah, so uh, Infinite 
care all year has been, and I think even a little bit in the last, has had a consulting agreement with uh, the county to to have a uh, to have a consulting agreement for the care center at Sunset Lake in Liberty. Uh, pretty much the uh, the big topic that's been coming out of legislature for a few months is the, the talk, and we reported on this last January, is that the uh, the two sides, uh, the county. With the agreement, the way the consulting agreement works, all revenues that are generated at the care center come to the county, and the county is also in charge of paying all the expenses. So every quarter, the two sides, Infinite Care and the county, are supposed to sit down and reconcile the revenues and expenses. Uh, so if there's a shortfall, for example, Infinite Care will pay the county. If there's a surplus, the county will pay Infinite Care. And the whole purpose of it is that once each reconciliation is completed, the county would be at net zero. So sort of back at that center balance. So Pretty much back in July, uh, County Manager Josh Potosik, um, you know, and this is granted was like, let's see if I could do math here. Over six months, so we're looking at, looking at halfway through the year. Was asked, you know, we asked him, "Hey, what's the update on reconciliation discussions with Infinite Care?" And he said they were actively negotiating a final figure. Well, here we are, um, a couple days from the end of the year, and the two have yet to agree on this said final figure. So. The legislature had a discussion on it at Health and Human Services earlier this month, committee meeting, also talked about it a little bit last week. And so District 2 legislator Nadia Reich, um, you know, had asked District 4 legislator Nick Salamone, who is the chair of the Health and Human Services Committee and has made multiple visits to the facility in recent, uh, you know, months to look at how care is there and such. And, and part of researching for his role is sort of uh, for this chair position of this committee. Uh, you know, she asked them, when do you think we're going to get a complete report from Infinite Care on their finances, uh, noting that they've been requesting this for months? And, um, you know, and she asked, how long does it take for them to actually, you know, put these reports together? And uh, Salomon pretty much said that he's asked them for a report multiple times. And then, you know, Minority Leader Ira Steingart chimed in and said that Infinite Care, who did actually their leadership, came and spoke to the county uh, back in July and uh, did a little chat and gave an update on things. And it was discussed then, you know, that they'd like them to come back on a more regular basis to give reports to the legislature and so forth. There is some information that is submitted through in the packet for Health and Human Services Committee, uh, but some of that is not entirely complete um, as far as just because of the way the consulting agreement works. So, for example, the county uh, is in charge of all the purchasing that happens there. So some of that data and budget items you know, are, are typically seen in that report because that's something that John Little or uh, the purchasing director um, would be kind of keeping an eye on. But, you know, financials, these reconciliations that haven't been agreed upon yet, that type of information is not being included in reports currently. And between that and also not having a physical presence at meetings to get updates, you know, there's been some frustration amongst legislators um, about that. And so, um, you know, Iris Steingart had said that, you know, the legislature and the public have a right to know this information. And he called it, quote, ridiculous that they weren't getting it, um, which, you know, legislative chairman Rob Doherty said he agreed with, which if you've read re recent articles in the paper, you know, to have those two agreeing on something um, is, a, is a pretty interesting deal because of just, you know, some of the back and forth they've had in recent months over totally unrelated topics. Um, and uh, Nadia pretty much told Nick, you know, Salomon being in charge of this committee, that it was time to put pressure on Infinite Care to uh, to get that information from them. And, uh, you know, her and both Joe Perillo, a District 7 legislator, um, had said they wanted a reconciliation from them by uh, next month. So, you know, at least they've stated that publicly. Whether or not we get there, we'll have to see. I'm not 
you know, don't pretend to be an expert enough to know exactly what goes into negotiating reconciliation figures, but it seems to be something that's quite complicated because, you know, like I said, we're almost a year into them supposedly having done this and, you know, still no agreed upon number yet. So uh, we did try to reach out to Infinite Care um, by press time. Uh, didn't hear back, but I'm sure that um, through continued efforts and also um, discussion, you know, with that, I'm sure we'll continue at future meetings. So we'll definitely be on top of that moving forward. Definitely look forward to hearing those stories. Joe, what else is happening on the pages of the Southern County Democrat that is coming out tomorrow and will be on newsstands and also online at scdemocratonline.com? Sure. So we have um, an article on some local uh, folks are working on trying to preserve sort of Borscht Belt era history, which is a big time um, in there. I believe it's a marker project that's being proposed. And I know that they've come to county legislature and have gotten some, uh, you know, at least encouraging support in, in terms of just, you know, being supportive of the project itself. I don't believe there's anything monetary at this point or whatnot. Uh, but as far as from the county's perspective, but we have an article kind of just detailing what the project is. We have an article on a new group in Jeffersonville who's working to promote businesses and uh, deal with some of the eyesores. Um, it's an issue we have in a lot of the village populations in our county where there's a lot of abandoned buildings or, or need some work. If we really want to revitalize main streets and you know economies and such, there's different groups that have been looking to kind of address them. And so in Jeffersonville, this new group would look to do that. Uh, pretty much also we have uh, some articles on local manure lightings, Parksville with their first ever manure, uh, this new manure that's uh, out by the rail trail near Cabernet Franks uh, in Parksville over the weekend and uh, had a very good turnout from what uh, I, he I heard from um, Matt who was there. We have some photos from some other manure lightings and we'll continue to have that going forward. Um, and then I'll give you even some sports uh, uh, news. Uh, I don't know if WJFF listeners are, are fans of hunting or not, but uh, our paper puts on a big buck contest every year, and it's a pretty big deal for those who enjoy hunting. Uh, I always like to joke and say that why I support everyone having the right to hunt, the only hunting I do is for uh, sales at the grocery store. Uh, the um, you know it is a pretty neat thing, I will say, looking at sort of how competitive people get, and that's we have all the results of that in today's paper as well. So. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much what we have. And I just want to say to everyone listening to have a happy holiday, no matter what, uh, when you celebrate this time of year, whether it's Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, which is coming up, um, uh, which so everyone, 